0: And finally, if this teaching is helpful to you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. You can email us at info at With that being said, here's this week's teaching. Well, good to see you guys. Uh, my name is Kent. If we hadn't had the chance to meet, I'm one of the pastors here as well. Uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 5. Matthew, chapter 5. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, uh, feel free to download the Bible app on your phone, or if you just Google Matthew 5, you'll probably find it. Uh, We'll be using the ESV today. Um, But Matthew chapter 5 is where we'll spend the bulk of our time. Uh, If you are just joining us, first off, welcome. We're super glad that you're here. Uh, Just for you to know, we've been walking through a series straight through the book of Matthew uh, in the Bible Uh, I'm not going to lie, after the events of this week in Knoxville, I really thought about doing a standalone series about how uh, sometimes if you don't deal with your sin, uh, it can get loose out in the wilderness. Um, It was going to be called Uncaged. It was going to be really good. But again, I didn't do it, but I thought about it. I just wanted you. I didn't want that title to go to waste, Uh, but I I haven't heard an update. Last I heard... uh, they said that they just stopped looking for the tiger, so that's, that's really comforting if you live in Knoxville. Gonna, I, I took the trash out at our house the other night, and I was, like, looking over my shoulder, just saying, tigers can go a long way, very fast, so... Um, But decided against that, we are actually going to continue on in our series uh, through the book of Matthew. Uh, Actually, last week, uh, we kind of entered into this thing called the Sermon on the Mount, uh, which is sort of Jesus' most famous teaching about the kingdom of God. It's sort of this entire section between chapters 5 and 7 in the book of Matthew where Jesus is just unpacking what the life of a follower of Jesus should look like, how we should live As God's people in the world. So if you were here last week, we actually jumped ahead into some of the Sermon on the Mount. Today, we're actually going to go back and cover the opening lines of it. But first off in our passage, Matthew, the author, is just going to give us some context for for where and how this teaching from Jesus was given. So let's pick it up on the last verse of chapter 4 in Matthew, and then we'll move right into chapter 5 together. So chapter 4, starting in verse 25. And great crowds followed him, that's Jesus, they followed Jesus from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. In other words, people followed Jesus from all over the ancient world. Verse one, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, hence the mount part of the Sermon on the Mount. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, hence the sermon part of the Sermon on the Mount. So there we have the context for what we're about to hear. From there, Jesus just begins to teach about the kingdom of God. And the portion of his teaching that we're gonna cover today is what people historically have called the Beatitudes, that word beatitude comes from the Latin translation of the word blessed, which is the word that Jesus uses over and over again in these verses that we're about to read. So it would seem that if we are going to wrap our minds around what Jesus is saying in these next verses, it would seem that we're going to have to wrap our minds around first what he means by the word blessed right? That word gets repeated every single verse for the rest of the passage. So if we're going to get anywhere with this, we've got to know what Jesus means when he uses that word blessed. So the word in Greek here is the word makarios, and it can be translated blessed or maybe fortunate, but probably my favorite translation of that word into English is the phrase to be envied. To be envied. I think that one does the best job capturing what Jesus means when he says blessed. Because when he says that certain people are blessed, he's saying that they are in a fortunate, enviable spot in life. They're living the good life. They are doing exactly what all of us wish we were doing. They are in a good spot in life. Um, It might help to think about it this way. Uh, Blessed people are the people that we refer to today with the phrase must be nice. You ever use that term? You ever said must be nice about somebody? So must be nice to have a pool, must be nice to have a lake house, must be nice to have kids that don't scream all the time, must be nice to not have kids at all and just get to do whatever you want. That's the phrase that we use a lot of times when we talk about these groups of people. We say, must be nice. And what we're saying is that those types of people are to be envied. And that sentiment, maybe minus the snarky passive aggressiveness of it, is what Jesus is trying to get at with the word blessed. Blessed people are the people that we look at in life and we go, yeah, they're living the good life. They're in a good spot. It must be nice to be them. So a buddy of mine who's a pastor actually wrote down what he thinks the modern American Beatitudes should be. And I wanted to share these with you because I think they're pretty spot on. I think they really help us wrap our minds around what Jesus is trying to get at in this passage. So if we were just to articulate the types of people in modern America that we consider to be blessed, I think it would sound something like this. Blessed are the rich and the financially independent, for they can do whatever they want. Blessed are you when you accept yourself, for you will find inner peace. Blessed are the sexually and romantically fulfilled, for there is no other path to joy. Blessed are those who eliminate negative people from their life, for they have done the right and necessary thing. Blessed are those who believe in themselves, for they will accomplish all of their goals. Blessed are the influencers, the trendy, the popular, because everyone wants to be like them. And blessed are those who are rising in their careers, no matter the cost, for they are the truly fortunate in life. I think if we were just to be honest, those are the types of people we think of as blessed, right? Those are the types of people in our society that we think are living the good life. And similarly, there were certain types of people that were assumed to be blessed in Jesus' day. There, there were certain cultural assumptions about the types of people that God favored, the types of people that God gravitated towards, and therefore about the types of people that God usually did not gravitate towards. Most everyone assumed that God blessed the the well-to-do, the the put-together, the well-liked, those that had good reputations and plenty of resources and plenty of connections in their world. The consensus was that God gravitated towards those types of people and didn't really gravitate towards people who weren't like that. That's what most people thought in this day and age. But what Jesus is about to do with his own list of the blessed that we're about to read is he's going to start drawing the circle of the types of people God favors and gravitates towards. He's going to draw that circle a lot wider, and in the process, he's going to challenge everyone's notions about the types of people that God works through. That's what he's about to do. So let's just see how he does it. Let's read through the entire thing all the way through verse 10, and then we'll go back and chew on each individual verse just a little bit. Starting back in verse 3 Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All right, so that's a bit of an odd list, if we're being honest, right? It's a bit of an odd take on the types of people who are blessed, because Jesus takes that word blessed, to be envied, fortunate, and and he attaches it to all these types of people and types of experiences that really don't seem that blessed at all, at least from our perspective. So the question that we need to answer is, what is Jesus doing here exactly What does Jesus mean by calling all of these types of people blessed in his kingdom? Well, before we get into what Jesus is doing, let's rule out one thing that he's not doing with this list. Jesus is not giving us commands. He's not giving us commands. So it might be easy to think that with this list of people he just gave, Jesus is giving us sort of things to aim for, virtues that we should pursue on some level. So now, coincidentally, some of them are also commands or virtues other places in the Bible, but I don't think that's what Jesus is doing here. So we're told other places in the Bible to be merciful. We are told elsewhere to desire righteousness and justice. For sure, in other places in the Bible, we are told to be some of these things. But I don't think that's Jesus's primary purpose with this passage. I mean, after all, some of these wouldn't even make sense if they were commands. Like, if someone came to you and said, hey, Do your best to go out and mourn. That doesn't make sense. Mourning is a response to a circumstance. It's not something you can command someone to do. Uh, Go out and do your best to be persecuted. That doesn't make sense as a command. Now, I know what you're thinking. Some Christians really seem like they think they're trying to be persecuted by saying and doing dumb things. I'm not even going to argue that with you. But that's actually not a command, You you can only be persecuted. Persecution is something that happens to you. It's not something you can pursue. So, I don't think these are commands. I don't think Jesus is trying to tell us virtues that we should pursue, believe it or not. They aren't commands, rather, they're descriptions. They're descriptions. So, what I want us to do is work through these descriptions to figure out what types of people Jesus is talking about exactly. And then we'll talk for a bit at the end before we're done about how those people might be considered blessed in the kingdom. So first, Jesus says that the poor in spirit are blessed. The poor in spirit. So there were two different words in the Greek language that can be translated poor. One meant sort of lower class, paycheck to paycheck, poor. The other word is the word for when you had absolutely nothing at all to your name. That is the word that Jesus uses here, the latter one. It's the word patokoi, which is an interesting word to translate. And it's, it's what's considered an onomatopoeia. If you slept through grammar class, I'm trying to help you out here. An onomatopoeia is a word that sounds like what it means. So when you say the word patokoi, what does it sound like you're doing? Spitting, right? Patokoi. And that's because the potokoi poor in Jesus' day were the people that were often spit on in the streets, the people that had nothing at all, the lowly, contemptible poor of his day. Jesus says that those types of people are blessed. But first, he tags onto that word the phrase in spirit. He says, the potokoi in spirit are blessed. And that might make us think that he's using the expression figuratively here. So he's not talking about the people who are financially poor. He's talking about the people who are spiritually poor. And to some degree, that's true. But something you should know is that in Jesus' day, there was actually a lot of overlap between those two groups of people. So often, the people that were materially poor were seen as spiritually poor and vice versa. So there often wasn't a ton of difference between those two types of people. This is likely why in Luke's versions of the Beatitudes, he leaves off the words in spirit because it doesn't really change the meaning of the passage all that much to do that. The poor and the poor in spirit were often one in the same group. And Jesus says those people are blessed in the kingdom. Next up, Jesus brings up those who mourn. Those who mourn which I think raises the question, mourn about what, right? Like does anything, does mourning over anything count? Like if I'm crying about my dog being lost or my tiger being lost, as it were, does that count as mourning? That's the second tiger joke during the sermon. That's the last one, I promise. But does that count? Like does it count to be mourning about anything at all? Does it count to be sad about anything at all? Not exactly. So the idea that Jesus is getting at here is those who are disproportionately impacted by grief and brokenness on planet earth. When I think of those who mourn, I think of those in my life that seem to experience loss after loss, illness after illness, miscarriage after miscarriage. Those who feel like they are forced to do more grieving and mourning than the average person in our society has to do. Those who are dialed into the brokenness in our world in ways that surpasses the average person's experience. People who are familiar with grief and suffering. Those types of people, Jesus says, are blessed in the kingdom. Then Jesus mentions the meek. That's probably a word that you haven't used this week. And to be honest, it's kind of a difficult word to translate. So, most literally, meek just means mild. But it, it refers most often to those who don't dominate, those who don't have dominant personalities. So th- the meek might be the shy kid in class, the soft-spoken coworker who almost always gets steamrolled or drowned out by other louder personalities in the room. It's, it's the people who don't dominate. It refers to those who often get overlooked or forgotten about or not listened to because they don't command as much attention as other people. Those types of people, Jesus also says, are blessed. And then he mentions those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, when we hear the word righteous, we most likely think of someone who is very morally upright, somebody that has good ethics. But you need to understand that in the Bible, that is only half of what it means to be righteous. The other half is to be someone who is radically and personally committed to justice. The righteousness word in the Bible carries that connotation as well. Righteous people not only did what was right at an individual level, but also what was right at a social level. Jesus says that people who hunger and thirst for all of that Are blessed. Now think about this for a second. If you are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, what does that mean? It means you currently aren't experiencing righteousness and justice, right? If you had it, you wouldn't be hungering and thirsting for it anymore. So the types of people that Jesus is describing here are people who are desperately longing for righteousness and justice to be done in their individual lives and out in the world at large. That's what this one means. And Jesus says those people are blessed as well. So I'll be honest, it's hard to read this and not think of the countless black men and women across our country right now who are crying out for justice to be done in regards to personal and systemic oppression against them. It's hard to read this and not think of the Me Too movement where men and women are calling for justice to be done in response to sexual abuse and harassment. It's hard to read this and not think of the people fighting against sex trafficking and the exploitation of children here in our country and abroad. All of those people and more are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And Jesus says that those people are blessed. In verse 7, Jesus pronounces a blessing on a group of people called the merciful. The merciful. So a merciful person in the Bible is someone who readily offers forgiveness for guilty people and compassion for needy people. It's both of those things. So we might use a word today like empathetic or tenderhearted. To be merciful is to be full of compassion and empathy for those needing it. So when I think of a merciful person, it's somebody who has an abnormally long fuse in their relationships with other people. makes me think of my little brother that lives in Virginia. And he, for as long as I can remember, has just gravitated towards people who are hurting. He's just gravitated towards them. And he has this supernatural, otherworldly patience with them. He shows those people grace upon grace, gives them chance after chance. And he does it in a way that I don't think the vast majority of people are able to do. We would probably just give up on those people a lot sooner than he would. And I think that is a picture of what it means to be merciful. Next, in verse 8, Jesus blesses the pure in heart. So the pure in heart are the people that mean what they say and say what they mean. They're, they're the few completely genuine people that you come across in the world where, where you always feel like they are exactly the type of person that they present themselves to be. So there's no, I wonder what I don't know about them with these people. Somebody who's completely unduplicitous in their relationships. Jesus says those people too are blessed. Then he moves into talking about this group of people called the peacemakers. Now notice that Jesus does not say, blessed are the peacekeepers. Peacekeepers and peacemakers are actually different things. Peacekeepers are people who try and pretend that there's never anything wrong. People that just do their best not to rock the boat in any situation. That's the objective of peacekeepers. Don't change anything, don't upset anyone, don't rock the boat, whatever you do. Peacemakers on the other hand, are willing to rock the boat if it means that things get set right that need to get set right. That's what peacemakers do, whether it's at an interpersonal level or at a societal level. So Martin Luther King Jr. was a peacemaker, which meant in many ways he was not a peacekeeper. The late statesman and civil rights leader John Lewis was a peacemaker, not necessarily a peacekeeper. Rosa Parks was a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper. There are often times in life, both socially and interpersonally, where in order to make peace in a certain scenario, you have to disrupt the status quo. You have to be willing to navigate directly into uncomfortable conversations and uncomfortable spaces in society. And that's what those men and women did in our nation's history. Those types of people, Jesus says, are blessed in the kingdom of God. And finally, the last one on the list, Jesus mentions those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake those who are persecuted. Now, most of us probably know what persecution means. It's when you experience some sort of opposition for doing the right thing, and that's true. But what we need to realize is that back in Jesus' day, persecution was not just people making fun of you or excluding you or being passive-aggressive towards you or anything like that. Being persecuted in his day meant you might be actively oppressed Beaten, imprisoned, or killed for following Jesus. So it was a little more severe than most any persecution that we may experience in our country today. And those types of people, Jesus also says, are blessed. So, that is a flyby, and I mean an absolute flyby, of what each of these things mean in the passage, what, what each of these groups of people look like in day-to-day life. And, and I know in a lot of ways the past five minutes or so felt like drinking out of a fire hydrant, and I'm sorry for that, but I wanted you to grasp what these types of people actually look like out in the world. And hopefully you're starting to get a glimpse at, at just how counterintuitive And how unexpected the people mentioned in this list truly were. For for just how strange it was for Jesus to say that these types of people were blessed. Because again, they weren't really the types of people that anyone would have thought of as being blessed in his day and age. So I think all this brings us to the question, why and how exactly are these people blessed? Because to use our definition from earlier, they're certainly not blessed because we envy them in the here and now. They're certainly not blessed because they are elevated and revered and looked up to in our society. So how are these groups of people blessed according to Jesus? A couple reasons I'll give you. First, these are people for whom the kingdom of God is particularly good news, they're people for whom the kingdom is particularly good news. Here's what I mean by that. The coming kingdom of God that Jesus came to deliver in some ways is equally good news for everybody, right? We, we are all equally in need of it, and it is good news for anyone who accepts it. But at the same time, there are certain people who have an easier time perceiving the good news of the kingdom and those who have a much harder time perceiving the good news of the kingdom. All of us need the kingdom of God, but not all of us are equally aware of our need for it. And what Jesus is saying is that these people, the people on his list, they are in a place where they are perhaps the most aware of their need for the kingdom of God. And because of that, the kingdom of God, when it arrives, will be especially sweet for these people. I think that's what Jesus is getting at with the second half of all of these verses. So he says things like, blessed are the poor for theirs are the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. What Jesus is saying is that these people are blessed because the kingdom of God is the fulfillment, it's the answer, it's the satisfaction for the very things that they so desperately long for in their day-to-day life. They are people who can most clearly perceive the good news of the kingdom. That's why they are blessed. They will be able to experience the kingdom of God in ways that others won't be able to, or at least will have to fight really hard to be able to. They will appreciate God's goodness in ways that other people will not. They are the VIPs of the kingdom of God. And here's the thing. No doubt there are people in this room right now who fall in some or all of those categories that we just read. There are likely many of you who listened as we unpacked what they all were, and you went, yeah, that kinda sounds like me, to be honest. I often feel disproportionately impacted by grief and brokenness. I often get overlooked when I'm in social circles. I find myself often hungering and thirsting desperately for righteousness and justice and never feeling like I actually get to see it happen. There were probably plenty of us in the room who felt like Jesus was describing us with some or all of those descriptions. And because of that, here is what Jesus is saying to you. Through this passage, he's saying to you, you are included in my kingdom. And not just included, you are blessed. You are preferred. You are desired. You are wanted in my kingdom. You may not feel wanted or valued anywhere else in the world at times, but you are in the kingdom of God. He wants you to know that your value comes not from what the world thinks or doesn't think about you but from what God himself thinks about you. And though others may look down on you, we in the kingdom of God actually look up to you. You are our heroes, you are our VIPs. In the kingdom of God, the greatest are the least and the least are the greatest. So though you live in a world that does not always perceive your value, God sees it and we see it in the community of God. We accept you and we want you. And not only that, but we have a lot to learn from you, apparently. We have a lot to learn from you about life in God's kingdom. We have a lot to learn from you about what it looks like to long for and desire the kingdom of God in very real, visceral ways. We have a lot to learn from you about why and how the good news of Jesus is indeed good news because you likely see it more clearly than some of the rest of us do. So to you, I want to say repeatedly and emphatically, you are valued, you are included, you are prized in the kingdom of God if you fit in some of these descriptions on this list. And to that end, the second thing I'll offer to you is that these are the types of people that should be prized in our communities. These are the types of people that should be prized in our communities. Because I know our church, I'm also aware that there are quite a few of us in the room, most likely, that don't really fit many of those descriptions at all. We are, we are not the down and out. We, we are not the marginalized or the poor or the overlooked. In fact, probably quite a few of us are on the opposite end of the social spectrum from all of that. We are somewhat popular, somewhat well-liked. When we speak, people listen. When we share our opinion, people value it. When we lead, people inherently follow. That's probably where a lot of us are at in the room as well. So I realized this about our church one day about a year ago when I was uh, eavesdropping on a conversation at a local coffee shop. Don't judge me. Let him who has never eavesdropped at a coffee shop cast the first stone, right? (laughs) But I realized this as I was listening in on this conversation. So I was there at a coffee shop. I don't even remember which one it was. Um, I was there hanging out, getting some work done. I had my earbuds in, but at some point I had paused the music playing, and then I was so in the zone that I forgot to turn it back on. You ever do that? So so in the zone, I didn't turn it back on at all, and, and as my music was off, I could sort of hear a conversation between two young women at a table behind me, and they were talking about local churches. So at this point, it's my responsibility as a pastor to eavesdrop, right? Like I, I have to do it. At least that's what I kept telling myself. But as these two young women were talking, uh, it became clear in the conversation that young woman number one was new to Knoxville and was asking young woman number two if she had recommendations for a church to uh, to attend. So at this point, I'm very invested in the conversation. So young woman number two lists off a few churches here in town that she would recommend, and then she says, but you should really come with me to City Church. Surprise twist, right? Never saw that coming at all. So my eavesdropping paid off, and then she continued. She said, and I'm quoting on this next part, word for word, it's really hip at City Church. There are tons of young people there, the boys are really cute, and everyone there looks like they're straight out of an Urban Outfitters ad. I'm going to be honest, that is not where I saw that conversation going at all. Uh, So gentlemen in the room, way to go, I guess. Good for you guys. Um, And way to go, everybody, for looking like you shop at a very overpriced clothing store here in town, I guess. But in all seriousness, when when I heard her say that about us, I felt a couple different emotions rise up in me. Uh, first, I'll say in some ways, I was encouraged. Maybe not by all of it, but by some of it, specifically her talking about how there's young people in our church. And I was encouraged by that because as we've said to you guys often here on Sundays, the most unreached and unchurched demographic in our country right now is 18 to 30-year-olds. Students, young professionals, single people, families without kids, those types of people, for whatever reason, probably a lot of different reasons, don't feel like they belong in the average American church. And for whatever reason, God has made City Church a place where those people do feel like they belong, where they do feel like they can be a part of things. And I say, praise God for that. We have never wanted to be a church made up of only that demographic. We want to be multi-generational always, but we do rejoice that God is using us to reach people that are unreached. We're, we're big fans of that, to be honest. So in some ways, I was encouraged that this young woman at the coffee shop saw us as a church of a lot of young people. There's part of that that I'm very happy about. But at the same time, I also felt very challenged by her statement. And here's why, and this is where it sort of connects to what we're talking about this morning, Because if that's the vibe that our church gives off, that that we are mostly young, hip, and well-dressed, apparently. I guess Urban Outfitters is well-dressed. I'm not exactly sure on that one yet. But if that's the vibe that we give off here, I think that means that we are going to have to work overtime to include the types of people that Jesus included. We're going to have to work really hard to welcome the types of people that Jesus described in the Beatitudes. If that's us, we're going to have to go out of our way to make the poor feel like they belong here, to make the meek feel like they belong here, to welcome those who are not hip or who are not popular, who are not well-liked or accepted or cool in the circles that they run in. It means that when we see someone come around our church family, whether that's here on Sundays or in a life group setting or whatever it is, when we see someone come around our church who doesn't necessarily fit that description that I heard in the coffee shop, young, hip, and well-dressed, we are going to need to inconvenience ourselves to show them that they fit in here as much as the next person does. And biblically speaking, that practice, the the practice of going out of your way to make people who are different feel like they belong, in the Bible, that's called hospitality. That's what the word hospitality means. It means the love of the stranger. It is the quickness with which someone feels like they belong with us, even if they don't look like us even when their skin is not the same color, even when they don't dress the same way, when they aren't in the same age range or socioeconomic status as us. Hospitality is the frequency with which you seek out and develop relationships with the people mentioned in this passage, in the Beatitudes. It is the quickness with which you walk to the other side of the sanctuary and introduce yourself to the person who doesn't look like you or your friends. It's the readiness with which you build friendships with people that you know don't feel like they belong. That's kingdom hospitality. And that's what we're here to do. So let's take cues from Jesus in the Beatitudes and let's continue to be a type of community where the poor, the broken, the hurting, the neglected, the meek, all the people that the world tends to leave behind, let's be a place where they get included and treated like family. So the last question I wanna answer before we're done is where does the ability to do that come from? Because that's very contrary to human nature, right? Like generally we are very good at welcoming and connecting the people who look a lot like us, who sound a lot like us, and we are very bad and very slow to welcome people who aren't like us. That's human nature. So where do we get the ability as followers of Jesus to go against the grain like that? To connect with those that we don't have that much in common with at all? I want to read you a passage from Colossians 1. We'll put it on the screen so you don't have to turn there. It's a very long passage. But as I read it, I want you to really think about the words being said in this passage, and I want us to use it to help think through how we develop the ability to do what Jesus calls us to do. This is Colossians 1. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, but none of us inherently fit in with the God of the universe. There are no common interests between an infinite, eternal God and sinful, selfish human beings. There's no common interest there. Not a single one. But what Colossians 1 just told us was that that eternally existent, perfect God of the universe took it upon himself to leave heaven and come to earth in the person of Jesus and to create a scenario where we could all fit in all of us, to make a way for each of us to belong and for each of us to be blessed in his kingdom. And Colossians 1 says that that happened through his death. It happened through Jesus making peace by the blood of his cross. And I want you to know that that the ability to include those who are often excluded, that ability can only come from understanding the links that God went to to include you. That's where it has to start. Otherwise, it can't go anywhere, right? It can only come from realizing the lengths to which God has gone to include us when we did not fit in. And once you understand the sacrifice that he made to make that possible, any inconvenience that you encounter in welcoming those who are excluded seems pretty minor by comparison. I'm not saying it won't cost you. I'm not saying it won't be inconvenient. I'm not saying it won't be annoying at times. I'm not saying it won't be difficult. But I am saying it puts it in perspective, right? To understand what Jesus accomplished for us completely transforms the way we think about connecting with and including other people that often get excluded. It gives us the willingness, the endurance to go through with it. So my prayer for us at City Church is that we would continue becoming a community in which all these types of people and more are blessed. Not just, hey, we're glad you're here. I'm never going to talk to you again. But we're glad you're here and we have a lot to learn from you about what it looks like to live in God's kingdom. That's an entirely different posture. And I'll be honest, you guys model this really well. From the very beginning of our church, we told you, hey, church planting is hospitality. (laughs) If we can't show hospitality to people who are different than us, then none of this thing is going to work at all. Because that's what this is. And you guys from day one have gone out of your way to include people that don't look like us, that don't sound like us, that don't vote like us, that don't come from the same families that we come from. And so all I want to say to you this morning is let's continue must continue to be the types of people that welcome the types of people Jesus mentioned in the Beatitudes, where the poor, the broken, the grief-stricken, the, the meek, the mild, all of that, where all of those people feel like they have a place where they are prized and valued and desired. And the ability to do that comes from Jesus and the cross. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you first and foremost for including us in your kingdom. God, thank you for sending Jesus to the cross so that he can make a way for us to be in relationship with you, to make us your sons and daughters God, and I just pray that, that that process, understanding what you did for us through the cross, God, that that would inform every single aspect of our lives. And that God, namely, when we come across people who are um, not valued in our society's eyes, who are not Preferred, who are not blessed, who are not to be envied. God, I pray that you would generate in us an upside-down kingdom where those people are elevated, where they're accepted, where they're wanted, where they're desired. God, and I pray that as more and more of those people come around our church, that we would learn from them what it looks like to long for and receive the kingdom of God. God, I can't help but think that a lot of us in the room, myself included, um, probably don't see the kingdom quite like we ought to. We probably don't see the kingdom quite like the poor in spirit do, like the meek do, like those who hunger and thirst desperately for righteousness and justice. So God, I want to ask that by your spirit you would teach us to do that, that you would teach us to see the kingdom like they see the kingdom. God, and that through all of that, we would become a place where anyone and everyone is accepted, anyone and everyone is valued, and everyone and anyone can be brought into a living relationship with you and your people through the cross. So God, would you create that in us? Would you make us into that type of community? We ask this in your name. Amen.